From our studios in Cuenca, Spain, I'm Kate Jetmore with Listen. Today, we continue our interview series focusing on women who are raising their children outside of their own culture. We'll delve into the benefits and challenges of raising your children abroad and ask for advice based on each woman's personal experiences. My guest today is Sue Ramiro Ibanez, a native of Newcastle upon Tyne in England. She was working as an RSPCA inspector investigating animal cruelty when she met her husband in 2007. She moved to Spain in 2011 with her husband, Fernando, and two children, Rodrigo and Elora. They also have 10 pets, including three donkeys, five cats, one goldfish, and one dog. Welcome, Sue. I'm so happy you could join us today. Yes, you're welcome. I'm happy I'm here too. Now, I met my husband here in Spain, but you and Fernando met in the UK when he was working there as a veterinary pathologist. Is that right? That's right, yes. He worked as a veterinary pathologist in... Um in um, near Harrogate in England. Okay. So, and I was working in Newcastle. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I, how did you end up meeting? Ah, uh, yeah. It's kind of a long story, but I'll tell you. <laughs> we it have anyway. time. We it's have interesting. Time. Okay. So, I was working as an RSPCA inspector, and what they do is they investigate reports of animal cruelty and also do animal rescues, that sort of thing. Um, but focusing on the animal cruelty side, we used to um, go to the location, look at the animal. If there was a problem, like a problem which was um, against the law, then we would investigate it. We would contact the police, we would interview the suspects, and we would have to gather all the evidence that we needed to take this person to court with the idea of prosecuting them so that they get banned from keeping animals. Okay. So that was the main um, thing that we wanted to do, to ban them. It wasn't anything else. Um so on this day, <laughs> yes. it was a lovely day and I got a call about a horse saying that it was lame um, and it was in a field with other horses. And when I got there, there was this poor horse who couldn't walk and mm-hmm. his, um, he couldn't weight bear at all on his legs. So I called the vet who came down and, um, and the police came down as well to look. And, and was that vet Fernando or a different vet? No, it was a different okay. vet because Fernando's a pathologist. Okay. He's not clinical. Okay. He, he works in a, in a labor- laboratory okay. and he looks on his microscope and he does um, post-mortems. But um, real vets, <laughs> <laughs> clinical vets, they're hands-on. Okay. But, um, so yes, this was a hands-on vet who came and he said, look, it, um, I think it's had a broken leg for quite a while. Yeah, um, and we need to put it to sleep. So he had the vet had to shoot the horse, mm-hmm. and um, for us to prove that the horse had had a broken leg for a long time, that it had been neglected, we had to get a post mortem done on just on the leg. So bringing us this brings us to Fernando. So I obviously um, rang the pathologist and I asked whether they could post um, perform a post mortem, and I went and I passed the leg to Fernando and we just had a brief meeting. Can you do a post mortem? We want to check how long this horse has had a broken leg. And um, no, I have to rewind. <laughs> I'm sorry because you said I passed the leg to Fernando. And yeah. you and I have talked about this before, and. Uh, what you told me was it didn't make sense to take the whole horse to the pathologist, no. so you just took the 
leg. We just took the leg, yes, because there was nothing else clinically wrong with the horse. Okay. So the horse went to the knacker's yard to get cremated, and but we took off the leg because we needed to prove um, there was neglect of the horse, and that was the only place which needed the postmortem okay. done. I know. Well, I just big... I love the visual. Yeah. I love the visual of you traveling with the horse's leg to the pathologist, and that's where you fell in love. That's right. Well, that's right. That's how we first met. But I know it sounds a bit gruesome to people who don't deal with that sort of thing. But to us, it's, it's everyday life, and it's something we had to do. Right. For me to like um, prove the animal cruelty and get this person banned. And... and it really it paints a picture of what kind of work you were doing and yes. how passionate you are yes. about animal cruelty, the prevention of animal cruelty. Yes. And um, where your where your paths cross? Yes, with you and and Fernando. Now, I want to take a minute to explain a Spanish tradition to our listeners because it will help them understand this next part. Um, unlike in the U.S. or the U.K., where the vast majority of women take their husbands' names when they marry, in Spain, married women don't change their names. So I'm curious. Which of these options felt best for you when you and Fernando married? Yeah, well, we married in England, in Durham, um, where I lived at the time. And um, it just felt quite natural for me to take his name. And I quite mm -hmm. liked it. It was quite an exotic Spanish name. Exactly. Um, afterwards, I didn't realize it would be horrendous because nobody could spell it in England. <laughs> and I was constantly repeating my name. But never mind, that's, that's another thing. But I felt happy about taking his name because this was traditional in English. You right. don't have to. You don't have to take the name, or you can also double barrel it. Mm -hmm. I could have said my name is Sue Craig Ramiro Ibanez, and this would have been fine. Right, also. sort of hyphenating your last name and his last name. Yes, okay. and his last name. But um, yeah, I just felt it was a natural thing to do to take Ramiro Ibanez. Yeah. Okay, so that made him. Fernando Ramiro Ibáñez and you, Sue Ramiro Ibáñez. Yes, because it's normal in England for one family to have the same name. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's a normal thing. Right, and like all Spaniards, Fernando has two surnames. The first one comes from his father, the second one comes from his mother. And that might sound a little complicated for some of the people listening who are not part of Spanish culture, but in fact it's quite logical. In the ex the ex I'll just give the obvious example of my own son, whose name is... Lucas Munoz Jetmore. Munoz is his father's first of his two surnames. I only have one surname, so he got Jetmore from me. Lucas Munoz Jetmore. So this seems like a good time to bring your children into the conversation. Tell us their names and how old they are, if you would. Yeah, we have Rodrigo, who's 10, and Laura, who's 8. She's nearly 9. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they, logically, took the same surnames as their parents. Yes, because they so, were... Everyone in the family has the same two last names. Absolutely, because they were both born in England. So that would be the normal step in England. You take your family name, and that was what's on the birth certificate. Okay, mm -hmm. which is entirely logical to people who live in that culture. Absolutely. In Spain, it's not logical. It's a very different system. So uh, tell us the story that you've told me before, but tell our listeners the story of uh, how your husband went down to the passport office to do that simple step of getting his children passports when they were little, and what happened? Yes, that's right. 
<coughs> actually, um, he went down to the Spanish embassy in Manchester. And, oh, okay, so um, you were still living in yeah, England. Yeah, we were still living in England. Um, and, of course, with his family being in Spain and us being in England, we used to travel quite a lot. And um, so, obviously, we wanted to get a passport straight away for Rodrigo. Mm -hmm. And so this was in 2008. So um, we thought nothing of it. Fernando went to the pass um, the pass no the embassy sorry mm -hmm, in Manchester, mm -hmm. and um, he requested a passport. We'd already had one from the English um, from the British. We all, all already had a British passport with his name Rodrigo Ramiro Ibanez. And when Fernando went down, I went with him, and there was some sort of problem, but I didn't understand at the time. And he came out, and he was absolutely furious, like steam was coming out of his ears. And he said that the embassy um, didn't recognize that we were using his name from Spain because it's his mother's name and his father's name. And they um, only recognize when the child has got their mother's maiden name and their, fa uh, their mother's maiden name, yes, right. and their father's, part of their father's surname. Mm -hmm. um, so they wouldn't accept um, Rodrigo Ramiro Ibanez and they actually issued a passport with Rodrigo Ramiro Craig, which is my maiden name. And which wasn't even your name at the time. Which is not his name and is not his name on his passport, on his birth certificate. <laughs> but they refused absolutely point blank. And Fernando went to Madrid when he was over in Spain because we managed to travel on a British passport. Okay. And he went to Madrid in Spain and they still refused. Wow. I know. So is that something that you've ever been able to get sorted out? To resolve? No, I haven't because my Spanish at the time wasn't good enough. And um, Fernando was so furious that um, I think he just left it. I think they said something about the um, the book. What do you call it? The, well, in Spanish, it's called the Libro de Familia. This is it, the family book. And yes. Because we, we don't have a family book either because of the name problem. They haven't issued They one? wouldn't issue us one. Wow. No. That sounds so. really difficult. Yeah. I'm sure there have been other tough moments, too. Yeah. What would you say has been the biggest challenge while raising your children here in Spain? Yes, I think one of my biggest challenges um, being here with my children is the traditions which they have in Spain, which are completely against my feelings and beliefs. For, for example? Ex for example, bullfighting. Mm. Um, because, obviously, I'm an advocate for um, for treating animals with respect and care. And bullfighting is the absolute opposite to this. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea why it's legal. Um, but it becomes very difficult in, in our village, in Cañete. Every year they have their own bullfighting. Oh, there's a festival with a bull yeah, in Cañete? Yeah, and they run the bull through the streets and they have a bullfighting ring. And nearly everybody from the village goes. And it's just a blood bloodthirsty fight and Aww. I just can't bear it and is so it is, is it a traditional bullfight yes I mean the, there's a there's a torero yes and then the bull dies at the yes end. and then they kill it with a knife afterwards mm -hmm. and I've spoken to people and tried to um, educate them a little bit and um, they just keep saying oh it's our tradition it's our tradition it's our tradition yeah, you don't understand yeah I don't understand but mm -hmm. when I talk to them for more than like one minute they actually agree that it causes the bull pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. and But they go because it's, it's tradition and everybody else goes. Yeah, and probably they have memories of going with their grandparents, you know. But it, it, it is, and it actually makes you stop and think about lots of other traditions, you know. There are many things that we do in our lives, whether it's in Spain or in the UK or in the United States, 
that just they feel familiar and so we keep doing them but when you really stop and think you know is that really the way we should be doing things yes absolutely because when I do speak to them and tell them you know you're causing this boat a lot of suffering and pain and they say yes I know but I go because everybody else does yeah and it's a tradition and it's like lemmings off a cliff isn't yeah it? it is yeah exactly <laughs> and it's been um it's been acknowledged as a, a, what do you call it in Spain? Um, like a something about tourism. Yes. Like regional tourism. It's acknowledged as a tradition. I can't remember the exact words. Acknowledged as a tradition, which is acceptable. Really? And, um, yeah. That's mm-hmm. like the qualification? No, I don't know the exact words, the but this is what it means. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, what about in your family? How does your husband feel about bullfighting? How does his family feel about bullfighting? He's very against it, my husband. He's okay. the same as So me. that's good. In your house, you have a little yes, island. Yes, we do that. But my mother-in-law, she goes, and um, my father-in-law, he goes. I think it's just because he's always went, and it's always been in his life, so they don't see anything different. Right. But um, what does annoy me is that now it's on the television, You know, sometimes you want to go to a bar for a a Coca-Cola and they've got people killing bulls on the television. I mean, this is wrong, absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. And this is a problem. So sometimes um, when I'm out with my children, I have to be careful if they have the TV on in the bar and things like this. Wow. And yeah. mm. Um, I'm guessing you talk to the children about it. How do you handle that? Because they are half Spanish and yeah. they are being raised in Spain. So how do you how do you navigate that as a mom? Yeah, as a mom we kind of just say to them why we believe what we believe and they they kind of accept that, but they do see their grandmother coming along and going to the bullfights. And I've heard them saying to their grandma, Grandma, why do you go to the bullfights? It hurts the bulls, you know? And their grandma, she can't say anything. She has no answer because she can't because she knows it's causing the bull's pain. So it doesn't cause conflict, but um, I'm proud that my children know the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I know from previous conversations that you quite like how children are treated in Spain in general as compared to um, in, in, in certain contexts in the UK. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, I think so. There are obviously good parts about living in Spain. And I do think that people have a little bit more respect for children here. Mm. I know it sounds a sweeping comment, but <laughs> I do. Um, I don't know. Sometimes in England, when, I've, when I go back, because I go back every summer, mm-hmm. and I see if there are children misbehaving, everybody will stare at them. And... Um, Oh, people, if there are children running around. And what, around. what do you mean by misbehaving? Like, oh, they're, they're, they're younger, so they haven't quite been socialized yet? Is yeah, that what you maybe. Mean? Or if they're in a park and somebody's running around screaming or something, just playing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They're just playing, but going a little bit crazy. Yeah. Where, like, in Spain, you see that people are going a little bit crazy, and people tend to just let them be here, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think. And if it's not hurting anybody, they're let be, and they're let to express themselves. Yeah. yeah? But I think in England, it's a little bit more restrained. And if this does happen, people will, mothers or the carers will be expected to rein their children in mm-hmm. a little bit. To control them. Yes. Whereas here, I quite like how they do have a little bit of freedom and a bit crazy time. So I quite like that. Um, and I also like um, how children are incorporated more into social life, into um, evening activities. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't... I don't think that children should be out late at night, but if there is something interesting at a local bar or something like a a festival or something, and it happens to um, 
close at nine o'clock at night or something. I think if there's no school or something, it's fine for your child to go. But in England, it wouldn't be accepted. Obviously, there's lots of alcohol around and children would not um, be, they either wouldn't be allowed in the bar or they would be really frowned upon. Whereas in Spain, it's quite normal. It is absolutely normal yeah. to see people out for drinks. And you mentioned nine o'clock, but I mean, till midnight, you yeah. see kids in bars with their parents. Yeah. Yeah. That actually will come as a surprise, I think, to some of our, our listeners from other cultures. Um, in the in the United States, you I think it's illegal. I don't think you can take your children in, in a bar um, or a pub. And even in a restaurant where alcohol is sold, you can't have them in the part of the restaurant where it's just the bar. Yes, yes. You can have them seated at a table where everyone's eating and someone's having a beer or wine, but they can't be up at the bar That's or right. in the bar area. I think there are merits for this so that the children haven't got contact with, um, with the alcohol. Um, but here it seems to work. And it does. I've never seen kids with drinking alcohol or anything like that. I haven't seen any of those problems. So I think <clears throat> every now and again, I think it's um, it's a good idea. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I, that's one of the things I like. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say is the best thing about raising your kids abroad? The one thing that you that's sort of a gift that you're so grateful that you can give them. Yeah, I think the best thing to give them is their bilingualism. I think this is definitely the best thing to give them because they are... And are your children bilingual? Yes, they're bilingual. I only speak English with them. Fernando only speaks Spanish with them. So I think this is a gift they have, yeah? Mm. So I think this is definitely the best thing. How do you think that will benefit them in the future? I think it'll benefit them because they'll have more opportunities to work wherever they want. They won't have um, language problems. Well, not within Spanish Spanish and English. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I just think it gives them a little bit more confidence as well. So, yes... I think I, agree. I think for a professional um, job, which I'm hoping that they will go into, they will need English and Spanish. They will need both. So, Well, Sue, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate your time. And I hope you'll be able to come back again and, and talk to us again in the future. Okay, that's great. You're very welcome. Thank you. Next time on Listen, we'll be joined by Michelle Franche, a Canadian from French Quebec, raising her son and twin daughters in Spain. Hope you can join us. Listen is sponsored by RAV, cutting-edge cuisine in a traditional setting. For a look at the RAF dining experience, visit www.rafsanpedro.es. That's www.rafsanpedro.es. The executive producer of Listen is Laura Munoz Solera. Our technical director and engineer is Iñaki Martinez, with technical support from Juan Jesus Martinez. Our web guru is Lauren Lovett. Additional engineering and original music from Lucas Munoz Jetmore. I'm Kate Jetmore, and this is Listen. Listen.